Hello, welcome to Hat Trick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Braden Dollar Coltman and Elliot Tanti. We were off last weekend for Labor Day. We're back and lots to talk about. This week, it's going to be kind of a, an odd show. We're not going to talk too much about sort of games and specifics around uh, what exactly has happened this week sports-wise. There's obviously a lot going on to kick off the NFL. Um, we're going to leave that for now to our fellow podcasters here on the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Tyler and um, Puya are doing a great job with the launch of their new show, Running Down the Clock. If you haven't heard it yet, check it out on Thursdays. Every Thursday during the regular season of the NFL, they will break down all the storylines around that. So we're going to leave the NFL to them. We are going to talk a little bit of, well, there's kind of a football angle to our first topic. We're going to talk baseball, but again, not about the play necessarily on the field, but maybe the future play on the field, because we're going to talk about the new rules, and then we're going to do hats off. So um, before we get to any of that, though, I know we weren't here last week. Uh, Elliot, what did you do to celebrate uh, everyone's favorite holiday, Labor Day? Yeah, I definitely did not do anything that properly honored Labor Day. I golfed. And uh, that's very bourgeoisie and, and, you know, not really on the side of labor. So I, I'm feeling kind of badly about it now that you mention it. Well, uh, that's fine. I mean, everyone deserves a, a round of golf every once in a while. And uh, again, you kept those ground keepers employed. Uh, all of the people working in the uh, in the shop, maybe the cart cart um, bartenders. Everybody's out there trying to make a living and you were just doing your part. Uh, let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right. So. Uh, I said I, I teased that we'd talk a little bit about football, but not really. I just wanted to use this as a springboard because every once in a while on the show, we kind of play fun games where we we dig back in the catalog and try to, I don't know, sort of talk about long times gone by. And this is one of those where we're going to go back and sort of pick out our favorites of, of a specific topic. Here's the topic, underdogs. Why do I bring up underdogs? Because the college football season is underway and college football is notorious for lopsided dominated games by the big teams. And obviously in the last year, specifically, we've really ramped up this conversation around super conferences and looking at the sec and the big 10 is basically trying to gobble up any competitive teams. Um, they, they can build out their conferences and it looks like we could be moving in the next decade towards sort of a two conference super um, league kind of system where you've got the top of the top of college football and then everybody else sort of down below uh, talk of expanding the playoff, all that kind of stuff. But what's always fun to see is when these big teams take a knock from some underdog. And that is what we had not once, not twice, but three times this weekend. Um, and so if you're, if you're a fan of cheering for the underdogs, this, this was a great weekend for you. Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, and Marshall all upset the teams that had paid them to come and play them. These games are meant mm -hmm. early in the schedule to be like warm-ups for these big programs before they go into divisional play to sort of prime them up. These are the, you know, quote-unquote cupcake teams they bring in just to cream. And they didn't quite go to script. Marshall down number eight, Notre Dame, 26-21 at home. That was a hell of a game, by the way. Big game for Marshall. Appalachian State, who ironically holds the title for one of the greatest upsets of all time. I don't know. It might come up after, but they once beat Michigan and once won a, a national championship because of it. Appalachian State, Texas A&M, who's ranked number six, they beat them by a field goal, 17-14. And then Georgia Southern goes into Nebraska and beats them by a field goal, 45 42 again big big games the other one um 
uh, the other sort of big games kind of went a, a, a little more to, to script. Um, so those were the really, the really big three. Some games were a little closer than other people thought. I think the Iowa game had some people kind of surprised because they were, the, they were the higher ranked team. Regardless, it made me think. We've often talked about underdogs. It's the most sort of, you know, iconic or, or uh, stereotypical trope in like sports movies, right? The, the, the David versus Goliath, all of those kind of uh, plot lines that we're all very familiar with. I wanted to ask these two guys who have a great, uh, you know, affinity for sports lore and history, what their favorite underdog stories were. So let me go to Elliot first. Elliot, when you rack your brain back over the years as a sports fan, uh, what for you stands out? Who, who is like the greatest underdog in your mind? Well, mine is completely biased and, and it says more about me and, and, and my personal sort of what I've enjoyed in my life. Uh, and that is the 1997 Edmonton Oilers who defeated the uh, Dallas Stars in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Oilers barely made the playoffs that year, sneaking in an eighth place and went up against the, I believe, President's Trophy winning uh, Dallas Stars, led by Mark Medano, Sergei Zubov, of course, Ed Balfour. They were the team that was destined to win the Stanley Cup. And this lowly eighth place seeded team that with, you know, you know, a couple, you know, a couple dollars to the millions that Dallas was putting up, uh, managed to take Dallas to seven games. Then, of course, Todd Marchant with the uh, classic uh, game seven overtime goal to to win. I mean, it's not a championship win, but when I my seven seven year old Elliot like was on top of the world when that happened. And when I think about underdogs, I have to think back to to that team and and, and that situation. That'll always be one for me. And I got to watch it live on TV, which I thought was really cool too. That's an important one. You know, when, when it's your own team or you've got like a real vested interest in an underdog story like that, I think that that's always a big, uh, that it always means a little more, right? It's one thing when you, when you're kind of the neutral bystander, you know, maybe you flip on one of these college games and you don't necessarily root for either team, but you enjoy watching the big team get beat. That's it's always different when it's your own team. Braden, what for you was your first one? What, what, what I love what how this, 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 uh, category is just turning into, um, how much we love the Oilers and the 06 run was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they were not expected to go very far. They were eight seed. They beat Detroit, a big, big Detroit team, uh, moved on to, you know, the finals. This was actually not my pick, but Elliot, you know, really, really, uh, I think by his pick encouraged me to remember the glory days of the underdog team. That was the 06 Oilers. My actual pick was Seabiscuit. I think this was, Seabiscuit was one of the greatest underdogs of all time, uh, a 22 to 10 uh, kind of odds. Uh, and uh, I think that was my original pick. But Elliot just really made me remember how much I, I loved cheering for the underdogs that were the 06 Oilers. So uh, I got to. What was your original pick? Was Seabiscuit? Okay. I, I like Seabiscuit. I mean, I, I think the 06, well, I think that, it would have yeah, been one thing like, if, if they had won in 06 and maybe it yeah, would have been. Well, that, that's it. Right. You, you said they had to win and they did. Well, I didn't have to. I mean, I mean, Elliot's team didn't win either. They won the, they won the round though, for <laughs> sure. But you're right. That round in 06 was, was definitely Cinderella. They were not expected to be there. And then they oh. went on that run for sure. Uh, but ironically, they met the other Cinderella team from the other side because Carolina shouldn't have been there either. So that was one of those weird years. Um, though, I mean, the first one that came to mind for me, and th- and this isn't my pick, this is my runner-up as well. This is sort of a, a weirder one because it wasn't like a one game or like a one playoff run kind of thing, but like Leicester City. The 2022 Edmonton Oilers, right? No, no. Leicester ah. City winning in, in, in 16 has got to be one of the greatest yeah, yeah. underdogs of all time because they win the entire league as yeah. a team that had just come up 
got promoted and then ran the table. They should never have done that. They were what, like 5,000 to one odds to win the title at the beginning of the season. Um, And then of course, sort of fell off the next year. Like it really was a one and done special kind of moment, but that was a weird one for me. Cause it's not like, I don't know, like for me, it has to be, there's something different about football. And that's why like these stories often fit around football because football is often a one and done situation. You play a playoff game. It's over. That's for me, why the greatest underdog story, like unexpected victory of all time is the New York giants, beating the, giants. the 16 yeah. and 0 yeah. Patriots in yeah. their dynasty. I mean, they were 12 point underdogs going into that game in 07 Brady, you know, playing at the peak of what Brady's power would be with Belichick, that defense, everything's there. The New York Giants were kind of this lowly team, barely stumbled into the playoffs. Michael Strahan was going to retire and then didn't. And they kind of went on this weird run. They get there. It's Eli, who's this sort of the leftover Manning brother, the guy no one expects to be great. And then they have one of the most miraculous and crazy finishes in Super Bowl history. I mean, we've had some crazy Super Bowls recently. I mean, the Pats included coming back on the Falcons, but the difference here was that like you kind of thought Brady had a chance to win that game all the time here. The giants were never meant to be there. I think they were, you know, they, the, they, they took an early lead and then they gave it up at, and then they had to come back again. And we're, we're talking about like the Pats with Randy Moss. Well, that's just it. The di- yeah. Dynasty teams, right. When they, when you can unseat a dynasty team, I'm thinking of the Toronto Raptors now, you know, like again, yeah. They, there yep. was projection to, you know, bringing in Kawhi Leonard, but to actually get there and actually unseat. And yeah, there's things that went into the way of that. Kevin Durant getting injured, Clay Thompson getting injured. But when you can actually unseat a great, a great team, like, you know, like the, like the Pats or like the, yeah. uh, and of course the stakes, Warriors. the stakes can't be higher than the Super Bowl. I mean, the other one that obviously comes to mind is the USA 1980, the miracle on ice. That's a big one because it's the importance of the Soviets. Frankly, you could go back just to the last Olympics and say the Canadian women finally beating the Americans in soccer is an equal underdog story. The difference being it's like we're in chapter like seven of them not being able to get there. Right. It's one thing when they come out of nowhere. And I think that's what what, what makes it so special. But is it here's like we'll wrap this up with this. But like, is there a better storyline in sports than the underdog? Like, is there something you can think of that's even better? Is it like the two best teams going together? Is that does that actually feel better than watching the underdog win? Or is it, is there really any better story? It's, I mean, it's David and Goliath, right? It's those oldest uh, times. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want a story like that. Those, those narratives are always most fun. Yeah. The only thing that I think rivals it is the good comeback. I think of Saku Koivu in Montreal, you know, those types of stories, people coming back from really unfortunate circumstances or, or maybe having taken time away from the game and then coming back and, and returning to some form of their old glory. Those Tigers are last masters. Are, but those yeah, are underdog stories, aren't those? Those are, you know, defeating the odds or, or you know, yeah, the comeback is kind of yeah. very, very similar in terms of in terms of narrative. That's the only thing that I would think of that that comes close to it. No, I think the underdog, uh, everyone loves a good underdog win, whether it's in week one of college college yeah. football or or you know you know the, the if the Elks ever win at home again, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, I think that was fun. We'll take our hats off here at all the underdogs out there and we'll leave it there for now. That's topic one. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Mm-hmm.
All right, let's talk baseball. We're not going to talk about what's going on on the field. There's time for that as we approach October. But what, more specifically, news related wise, we had we had the the announcement of what the new rules out of the, uh, I guess the rules committee or whatever group of people have decided what the future of baseball is is going to look like. Uh, they've reached a consensus, and this week we found out what what will be implemented going into next season. Uh, some of the things, and some of these weren't necessarily big surprises. Obviously, we've had conversations even on this show about like pitch clocks, and and things like that. Um, obviously, baseball is at a crossroads where it's trying to continue to. Um, you know, move forward into a increasingly competitive space uh, with other sports, with, with TV time, with just eyeballs on its uh, content and on its product, um, trying to continue to grow a, an ever aging fan base younger and younger. Um, and in doing so, you know, trying to modernize or trying to shift things, but baseball, arguably one of the more conservative sports when it comes to how its rules have been governed forever. Uh, trying to also, you know, trying to maintain the integrity. We've seen some of the rules they put in even recently already coming out of the game and then something's changing. Um, obviously I am no, no expert on baseball. I've looked through this list, but I'm going to have to defer to the two of you as far as far as sort of opinions on this. Let me start with this, Braden. When you look at the list of rules that have been implemented, whether it's larger base pads or the pitch right. clock or any of these other things, what for you jumps out or what do you think um, is the most surprising on that list? Well, <laughs> the most surprising and the one I don't agree with. The no, most no, surprising start, start is with- the bigger bases. Like it's like, the statistics on stolen bases will be they say they will be modest in terms of you know the impact of the game i think that one's surprising because it's kind of ridiculous um the the shift that the shift restrictions this is the most surprising to me in the sense that i think that this is kind of ridiculous and personally, I don't think this is going to last in the game. Okay, so for, for the uninitiated, can you explain the shift in modern baseball? So defensive shifts. The, the, the idea around shifts is that, you know, a left-handed batter or a right-handed batter has a higher percentage. Baseball's all about statistics. So they have a higher percentage of maybe hitting a certain direction. Uh, so the idea around the defensive shift is to position the, out, uh, the infield and the outfield to uh, be in those zones where the higher probability of the baseball reaching is. Um, so you're, you're adjusting the position of the defensive team in a strategic way based on the statistical uh, odds of where the batter is most likely to hit the ball. Is that right? And correct. so the result of that in baseball currently, and the reason they're now going to restrict it being what? Defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. These restrictions are intended to increase the batting average on balls in play to allow infielders to better showcase their athleticism and to restore more traditional outcomes on batted balls. So the suggestion being that too many at-bats are resulting in outs because of the shift. Is that the idea? We're trying to increase offense in baseball. Sure. Okay. So not unlike the NHL trying to limit the trap or, you know, or or adjusting the way that, uh, you know, defensive penalties are called in the NFL, we're trying to increase offense because that's what gets fans out of their seats. And, and that's what excites the audience at home. Which is so ironic because baseball for so long has been trying to quicken the game. (laughs) And so, 
do you, you know, how do you think this will slow the game down? Just because there'll be more batters on base and therefore longer, longer innings. Longer innings I think, I mean, that, that's not my issue though with this. My issue is this is a strategy, you know, shifts don't always work. Batters can learn how to hit the other way. And, and so I think that there's a little bit of a give and take here. I don't think that uh, taking out the shift is good for baseball. Okay. So Elliot, let me ask you this including the shift part of it, but also, you know, some of these other rules and you're welcome to speak to any of them specifically. But when you look at this, do you think, do you feel like, I guess the question is, which side is, do you think is one in this current round of how baseball is moving forward? Is this and these rules a positive for the people looking to modernize the game and move it forward? Or is this a a, more of a, a set of rules? Do you think that were won over by the more conservative, more traditionalists in the rules committee? Where, which way do, do these favor? So I, I think this does ultimately favor the fan base. And I think this leads to a more entertaining and, and, and more exciting game. I, I think, you know, th- so there's three shifts here. There's bigger bases, there's a pitch clock, and uh, there's, you know, what Braden was talking about, about the changes in the shift. If you had told me at the beginning of this year that at the start of next year, any one of those things was going to happen, I would have said, sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I could see baseball doing one of these things yeah. but to tell me that they're doing all three next year to me is very surprising. And I think the biggest shock that comes out of this announcement th- this week, because as you said, baseball is like a traditionalist game. We've talked about that for a long time, how it's one of the biggest, uh, you know, under it undermines the game at, as much as it does is because there's these traditionalists that don't like big changes. And for baseball, these three changes are barely significant. And I think that because, and I think what they've seen, what they've decided is that not any one of these things is enough to have the kind of impact that they need and they need something immediately. And so to do all three, I, I think is, is MLB maybe finally recognizing that there's a problem here. Um, I don't agree with Braden on the shift. I think that this is a, a good thing for baseball, and and I and I and I'm totally fine with it. I think the larger bases isn't a joke. I think it's going to one lead to reduced uh, injuries, uh, which oh. is what we've seen in the minors. They've seen a 13% decrease in in injuries in the minors with larger 13%. bases. Because there's, you know, fewer infractions. And I think it's going to be more scoring. We see how close the game is now, and it's going to be awesome. Um, you know, this whole pitch count thing, which is, is, is on its face, sounds really simple. The, the base, the batter or the pitcher has certain, uh, so many seconds to throw the ball, actually has a bunch of intricacies related to it, including uh, a limit to how many times they can throw the ball to first base to try and pick off a guy on first base. Uh, an impact on the batter. So the batters has to be in the box faster as well too. If they're not, they take a strike against them. So there's a bunch of intricacies that they've, they've tried out in the minor leagues that that they're doing here. I think ultimately this is going to be good for the game. I mean, in the minors, they're seeing somewhere between 27 to 37 uh, minute reduction in in game time on average. And that's exactly what MLB needs right now. Since when, since when, how long have they been tracking these? I think it's just in the last year. That's that's a thing. Like, you know, I, Look, I'll give you a one game sample size. So I went to one game this season for the Vancouver Canadians, right? Which I believe is low single A ball, single Single A, A. but long season. Now they used to play the short season. They play the long season. They're an affiliate of the blue Jays. I had been to many games there before. This is the first time I took a toddler and we left around the seventh inning, which I think is an appropriate time to leave with a three-year-old after an hour and a half. It was the fastest 
quickest moving baseball game I've ever been to. Not in a, not in a negative way, but it had a clip to it. It had a very, you know, pleasant watching pace to it. Uh, to be fair, it wasn't a particularly heavy offensive game. So that obviously would have changed things if, if there had been more balls and play and more, more batters on base. But I think there were two home runs and a couple singles that, you know, led to some, to some actual play, but there was a lot of strikes and there was also a great speed with which the pitcher on both teams was responsible for getting the ball in play. There's a big clock in the outfield. I'm sure there's a clock right behind home plate that they can see very much like the play clock in the NFL or the CFL or football. Uh, not at any point was there even a, 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 a close call with the pitcher not getting the ball into play. It wasn't like any, you know, these pitchers had clearly adapted to knowing what their sort of cadence was, knowing what the rhythm of it was. It was even very impressive to see when there was the first of the only, I think the only ba- uh, pitching change I was present for in the game um, occurred. You know, he was given, I think, a two-minute clock to, to get warmed up and through whatever number of pitches he needed to. But from the time he left the bullpen to the time the next, you know, the next batter was at the plate was, was two minutes. And it was very comfortable. I think from a TV viewing audience, that would be a very positive thing. I'm not an active baseball uh, viewer, so I can't speak to how the rhythm well, we of it know. currently is. But we the reality know. is... Oh, we know, but we love that you're talking about it. The point being, if you can make baseball more easily consumed, you will inherently be able to sell it to more people. More I think that's Absolutely. a big thing. Nobody has four hours every single day to sit down and watch baseball unless you're retired. And with all due respect, that right now is Major League Baseball's base audience is people who watch every single game because they don't have employment and the reality no 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 it's not because they don't have employment i have their audience watching all 100 and so i went and looked today at the statistics on espn baseball games and they average that their fan base on average is older than 65 so over half of the people watching baseball on espn every single day on how are they getting that statistic from 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 tv tv sales polls polls Oh, they can pull it the same they, way. That's they, why so many Robaxa set uh, ads on. <laughs> All I'm trying to point out is baseball, and we've talked about this a lot on here. Baseball knows that it needs to get younger in terms sure. of its fan base. Yeah. Oh, sure. uh, and and betting on baseball is going to have to be a big part of that. They're going to have to figure out fantasy. They're going to have to get themselves back into the things that are attracting young people to other sports. Um, that's that's a side. And I don't think bigger bases. <laughs> impacts bigger well, are we talking about are these bases six feet wide like what are we talking about they're talking three inches bigger oh 15 to 18. i think it will make an impact particularly in conjunction with the with the pitch clock where you can only throw the ball so many times to first base now stealing is going to be a much more important th- part of the game and it's easier it's to exciting. steal even by three inches we'll it, it's just we'll more exciting and more stolen bases more action more players in scoring positions so that you can score off a single if you three like inches base it's it's going to make a difference it's going to make a difference three inches, more three inches on a square object Braden, isn't that big i know so it's a little it's so how does this impact the game it's incremental well, it's i'm totally for the pitch clock i think that that is an absolutely ne- necessary uh step forward uh and you're even seeing the increase in, in pitchers just doing that uh inherently like that you know they're starting to to, to really speed up the the impact of that the, the shift though, I, I have a really hard time with just, I, you know, I, I'm going to be really interested to see how it's one enforced uh, 
you know, to how, how the statistics of it changed the game. I have a hard time with it because that's like saying, you know, you know, if that was to happen in hockey, it's like, no, the, the D has to stand by the hash marks. The, you know, the forwards have to stand over here. It's strategy. The, the open game, you know, the, 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 the field that is in play is open to wherever the ball gets hit. There are, you know, you've got your seven players out on the on the playing field and you have to determine how they're going to get the ball. I, I just, I thought, I personally feel like the shift is a, uh, an important piece of strategy in, in baseball. But the other side of that piece too that I really like about the shift rule is also they're limiting how many people can be in the outfield as well too. So where we're seeing now where you've got your shortstop or sometimes your second base, who's basically play, he's basically like a fourth outfielder. Yeah. He's yeah. so far back. He's not going to be allowed to do that anymore. And I, I honestly, I think these are all good things. It's going to lead to more exciting plays, more scoring, more rundowns and tags and more, you know, throwing, um, uh, throwing plays at plates at the plate. I, I mean, I'll, I, I do appreciate that. I get that it's strategy and that they're, they're negating a, a, a strategy, which is just part of the game. But I, I, you know, this is baseball. People are going to find ways to work around it. It's all and statistics. Really, it's going to, but I think, you know, you can still play a, a shifted like game. You just can't load up one side of the base like, or yeah. the infield like they're doing now. Yeah. But yeah, but doesn't that put that onus on the offense to be able to hit other ways and to be able to, you know, like well, able, you have you four know, in the outfield, but for, for fun. And we saw, yeah, we saw the, the, the value of the bunt go up slightly for a while when the shift first got introduced and then that yeah. went away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the shifts kind of just won out against every other strategy, though. And I think that's why they finally said enough's enough. Look, at the end of the day, none of this is going to matter for the rest of this season. So we'll wait and see what happens as these things go in. Uh, maybe they like it. Maybe they don't. Uh, I don't think anyone at home is going to notice that the bases are what did you say? Six inches or three inches bigger? No one's going to notice. But the shift probably is the biggest impact uh, in terms of every every single game uh, being a, an impact. And obviously, the, the pitch clock may or may not, but it may, may make things faster. If it makes baseball better, at the end of the day, that's all they can hope for. Let's leave it there for now. That's topic two. Hello, football fans and fans of the Ordinary Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Walzak. I am here with Puya Ricey, and we are starting a podcast called Running Down the Clock. Each week, we're going to bring to you a little bit of football talk, player news, controversies, headlines, all the big plays, and then football action that you can handle. On August 11th, we will be debuting our podcast, and we are going to break down each division of the NFL up until the season begins. And once that season begins, it is nonstop football talk every Thursday, for the rest of the season. We look forward to you listening to us on the Ordinary Podcast Network. All right, we're going to do hats off this week. Uh, I'll go first. I'm taking my hat off to the winner of the U.S. Open. And although there are obviously two winners of the U.S. Open, there's the men's and women's, I do want to, for a moment, you know, uh, acknowledge the, the the very impressive victory of world number one, Igis Vatek, who uh, the Polish uh, tennis player who who won for the women's side. Obviously, the women's storyline all tournament um, was Serena Williams because it was her final tournament, and we got three really awesome matches to close out her career, and that really was sort of overshadowing all of these other achievements there. But Svatek did a very good job winning that championship, but. I want to take my hat off specifically this week to the youngest U.S. Open and youngest 
major winner in men's tennis history. Um, the new Spaniard, obviously the most famous Spaniard uh, in tennis being Rafa Nadal, but Carlos Alcaraz uh, Garrafa won uh, in four sets against Casper um, Ruud. And it was a, a great match. I don't know if you saw it, um, but I, I've enjoyed watching tennis all, all, all sort of um, into out of August and into September. It's always fun to watch the U.S. Open. Uh, he won 6-4, uh, lost the second set, but then won 7-6 seven, uh, seven, in, in a tie break and then 6-3 to win the championship. He becomes the world number one coming out of the tournament. And as I say, the youngest ever at 19. So my hat goes off to Alcaraz. He's gonna be uh, so good moving forward. Like, yeah, I mean, and like the trick shots, all the promise. Too, yeah, so fun to watch him play. Very impressive. Uh, Elliot, who are you taking your hat off to? Uh, so I've had an excellent day of sports watching. It of course began at five thirty this morning when I was up to watch the wonderful Grand Prix. Long live Red Bull, as I always like to say on the show. But no, I am not going to talk about F one. I'm not going to talk about the first Sunday of the NFL season. Of course, there's other shows on the Ordinary Podcasting Network where you can get under wonderful information about those things. No, I am going to talk about the Rugby Sevens World Championship. If you guys ever have a chance to watch rugby on TV. I think it is the most underrated sport to watch on television. It's just a great game to, it's got great flow to it. There's no commercials. Uh, I love watching rugby and anytime I see it on TV, I will watch it. The Fijians have won the rugby uh, <laughs> sevens. Uh, they're <laughs> rugby sevens champions this year on the men's side and the Australian uh, team on the women's side uh, won this, uh, today as well. So my hat goes off to those two teams and, uh, just a, yeah, a little inside baseball, uh, for our fans out there. If you ever get a chance to see rugby on TV, give it a chance. It's really worth watching. How did they get away with no commercials on a television? No, uh, that'd be it's the same amazing. as soccer. Although, I, I wouldn't, it's, it's like, so, yeah, similar to soccer. Same with soccer. There's no stoppage in place. So you can't, you can't get to They got to do what F1 does and just play. No, the they time. do no, not. That and makes I it literally. Swear, oh my God. PSN needs to stop that right now. That's the only way they think it this morning. I will tell you, there was nothing more. Every time something interesting happened in what was up there, they picked the worst. It was actually happening during the commercial. It's brutal. It was awful. Well, good for rugby for for having a sport that you can't get away with that. You know, I I don't want to go on a diatribe about this, but you actually do bring up an interesting point. No, no, but here's the thing. (laughs) There's a solution to this. It's very, very simple. You run five minutes of ads right before or right after the the thing. So you can get those commercials in, but more specifically during the race, rather than doing the split screen thing, do like quarter screen and, and have ads like billboards on a website, just rolling constantly. Just put more shit on the screen. That's fine. But don't cut away. Please don't cut away. It's stupid. Braden, who are you taking your hat off to? This well, I'm going to cut away and I'm going to uh, tip my hat to the legendary St. Louis Cardinals slugger, Albert Pujols, who cranked his 697th home run of his career, uh, surpassing uh, Alex Rodriguez for the fourth, uh, fourth all-time home runs list. He, uh, he would have no issue with a shift restriction as he just cranks them, but he's also retiring at the end of the year. So he won't have to worry about it. I'm just thrilled that he's playing for uh, the St. Louis Cardinals who he's played for, for great many years. Um, he's back with the Cardinals and they are leading the NL central. They have a, a very good shot at, uh, at the pennant and also the world series this year. So I'm tipping my hat off to Albert Pujols, who I hope continues to rock it up. He's, he's only, he's only 
trailing uh, Babe Ruth, 714th uh, home runs, Hank Aaron at 755, and Barry Bonds at 762, which is a bit of an asterisk there. So uh, tipping my hat off to a great, a great uh, athlete, but also a great human being, Albert Pujols, 697th and counting home runs. Yeah, a lot of people on that list, obviously, there with some big asterisks. Mm-hmm. One has to hope Pujo stays clear, although I do know his name was originally attached to the Mitchell Report and was removed. So you never know. But look, baseball, I mean, come on. All the yeah. best players in baseball were juiced. Sticky Babe Ruth, especially. Those. Babe Ruth was juiced, man. There's no way Babe Ruth was that good on his own. I don't know what drugs they had back then. Probably just straight heroin, but because you could get it over the counter. But... uh the truth being baseball is the prohibition. <laughs> nah, you could still get heroin over the counter. Uh, they used it to treat like uh, hysteria. Uh, look, <laughs> Albert Pujols is a great career for sure. And it, it's, it's, it's fun to see a guy and you know, they're on their sort of final uh, season when they're still able to, uh, to, to grab headlines song. like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's none of our swan songs. We will be back very soon with more to talk about. I know Braden and you will be back. Uh, Braden and I, Braden and you. <clears throat> I know Braden and I'll be back on Tuesday to talk about the Italian Grand Prix, obviously on the Pit Stop podcast, which you can listen to anywhere you get your podcast. And as we've mentioned several times, if you haven't already, please go check out Running Down the Clock on Thursday. Tyler and his buddy Puya will talk about the NFL. So if you were coming here today looking for football talk, don't worry, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks everybody for listening. That was Hatrick. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.